0: We know God's in control of everything. We're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4 today. 2 Timothy chapter 4. You heard about this taxi driver. (laughs) He picks up a nun and he's driving along and he says to the nun, you know, I've always wanted to kiss a nun. And The nun said, oh, okay, are you Catholic? He said, yes. And uh, she said, "Uh, uh, are you married? He said, no. She said, well, I I don't care if you give me a kiss. So he pulls a taxi over and gets out and goes around to her side of the back door, opens the door and gives her a big kiss. Goes back in the taxi and starts driving her to her destination. He said, I feel real bad, I've got to apologize. I am married and I'm not a Catholic. She says, that's all right, my name's Jimmy, I'm going to a costume party. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? You knew it was a joke when I talked about a nun letting someone kiss her, right? All right. We're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Stand, if you will, and we'll read a few verses here. We're going to read the first um, five verses. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and patience. Long suffering and doctrine, excuse me. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. But they shall and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. God bless us as so we take a look in the book for a walk in the world, that we will glean something, some handfuls on purpose that you've uh, given to us and that will help us to mature in the faith, that we grow spiritually uh, from your word. Bless each and every person, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul is in a Roman dungeon about to be executed, and he's writing young Timothy as he calls him in Scripture, but remember, Timothy's about 40 and he's expecting Timothy to sort of take up his cause and and, uh, do what Paul had done and do the right thing and be a good leader in the church. And so he's giving him some final instructions. It's about 66 years after the death of Christ, and uh, Paul is with Luke. Luke's the only one who stayed by him. Demas went the way of the world, the Bible says. Loved the world and went that way. So here's Paul. And so he begins to charge him. He says, I charge thee therefore. Now this word charge Is word we get our word martyr from, or witness? So Paul is charging them and saying here that there's that I'm also a witness uh, before a God as I charge you, and he says, and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the dead and the the quick and the dead, or the judge the quick and the dead, yes, at his appearing in his kingdom. Now we're going to give you some little deeper things for a few moments, and then we'll make the practical applications we need to make. But here he says, I'm a witness, and I'm charging you. And he says, because the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the quick and the dead. Now, did you know all judgment was given to Jesus? God is going to make him the judge. Jesus was a perfect lawyer, our advocate, and he's eventually going to be the judge of all things. And the Bible said every knee will bow. E- even those that are lost will bow and beg, but it'll be too late. But here he says, he is the uh, the... <coughs> He's who shall judge the quick and the dead? The word quick comes from the same Hebrew word that the word living comes from in your Bible. The word quick is used only four times. In Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful. That means living. So it's only when translated quick four times. It's translated 20 sometimes living. You think of the living word, the living water, uh, the, the, the living stone. It's the Greek word zoe. Our word zoology comes from that or zoo. So that's why it's translated that way. And so we know, he says, the Lord is going to judge the dead and the living. He's going to judge both. You see, there's going to be two judgments. There's going to be the Bema seat where all believers' works are judged, and they're burned up if they're not done with the right motive. And then there's a great white throne at the end of the thousand years where everybody's going to go. He he raises the dead from the sea and from the earth, and they all stand before him. He'll empty hell at that time, and they'll all stand before him. Then he'll cast everyone into the lake of fire that didn't believe. That's a terrible thing to think about, but that's going to happen at his appearing. The word appearing here, if you want to mark your Bibles, in the last line is our word epiphany. Our word epiphany comes from that. So he's definitely going to appear. We know the word. And then he begins to break down uh, what he wants from Timothy. He, he lists five things, and later he'll list four. He says, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to, first of all, preach the Word. Preach the Word. And Timothy is a young pastor, needed to understand. That's what God called him to do, and he needed to do that. Now, it's interesting in your Bibles, because there are five different Greek words translated preach. Did you know that? Five different Greek words. So when you see the word preach... It may be a different word where you see it today than in other parts of Scripture. And I'll give you a little breakdown on that, too. The first word is the word caruso, and don't worry about that. But you'll find that word 23 times in your New Testament, if you had a Greek New Testament. But don't, don't let that scare you, because we're going to explain it simply today. Uh, it's translated 16 times preach. It's translated five times publish. And twice it's translated proclaim. So we understand what that word means, to proclaim, to publish, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, proclaim, publish, and preach the word. The second most used Greek word translated preach is the word evangelio, which is our word evangelism. You know that word. So 18 times when you see the word preach, it's the word evangelism. So you see, when you're reading a passage, it's a good thing to get a strong concordance or something if you want to dive in a little deeper and say, what does this word mean? Is this just proclaiming or is this evangelizing? And so they're both translated preach. Three more words. The next one is kata agelo, which in the middle of that word is the word angel, the agelo. And that means to declare a message. And that is in the Bible, that Greek word four times, and every time it's translated preach. But it means to declare a message. Then the word leleo, simply a simple word meaning to speak, is in there just once. The rest of the time, it's over a hundred times, hundreds of times, it's translated speak. And the final word, uh, Greek word translated preach, is the word dialogo. We get our word dialogue from that. So we just kind of race through that. You can see me afterwards if you want to. The word dialogue, and that's only used one time the rest of the time that Greek word is translated speak. So I've just totally confused you. And so we're just going to make it simple today. The word preach is a simple, simple word. It means to proclaim, to evangelize, to have a dialogue. It's simple. Just remember that. But I have had people come to me and say things about the word preach or about preaching, and I realized they did not know what the word meant. You know, if you study the sermons of Peter and Paul and Stephen and Jesus, you don't find them ever throwing chairs, stomping on pews, you know, running up and down aisles. I'm not saying that uh it's wrong to be enthusiastic. I, I, I believe we ought to be passionate, and enthusiastic about what we preach. But preaching is not entertainment. It's proclaiming, it's evangelizing, it's getting the word out there. I, I'm what you're calling expository preacher. You've figured that out. Quickly, that I go through verses and chapters, verse by verse, word by word. I believe that's the way I should do it. Now, sometimes I'll preach a topical. When we start back Sunday nights, I'm going to do a series of creatures, the vulture and the and the flea and different things. We're going to preach some topicals at that time. Wednesday nights, we go through the parables and we fill out our blanks. We go through them chronological, or that's called exposition. But preaching is, is often, people think preaching has to include some sort of drama, some big display of things, and that's not at all what you find in Scripture. In fact, you'll find Jeremiah laying on his side for days preaching. Jesus sat down and taught the multitudes, and teaching is preaching, by the way. People want to say, well, that's teaching and not preaching. No, preaching involves teaching, and it's our job as pastors to feed the sheep. Verse Peter tells us that if you're not learning and you're not growing, then I'm failing in what I'm doing. And I've told you before when we have a visitor come in and we all don't know who that is, and we think, well, that's a stranger, maybe that person's not a Christian, all of a sudden my preaching will become more evangelistic. And I'll talk a lot more about the cross and you'll say, what's Brother Dan doing? He's gotten away from his text. Well, that might be the Lord leading me to give someone the gospel who we don't know if they know Jesus. So there's the aspect of evangelism as well. And so we know that that's all important stuff. Someone asked me recently, is it wrong uh, for people to praise the Lord, to go forward during the music and say amen? And I said, absolutely not. Of course you can praise the Lord here. In fact, all of you know one Hebrew word. It's the word hallelujah. What does it mean? Praise the Lord. And so, especially during music, you know, man's made up of intellect, emotions, and will. And so, during our music, your emotions will be charged, and sometimes you'll just praise the Lord. And that's acceptable. That's fine. There have been times where I've been in churches where I knew someone who was praising the Lord and amen, and, and I knew they were in the flesh. And one, one occasion, a guy was doing that, and by the end of the service, he was up front yelling at the pastor. And uh, others... Uh, I could name some people that you know that saw that same occurrence. So not all emotion is of the Holy Spirit. You understand? Some emotion is fleshly, right? But when the Lord lays it on your heart to say praise the Lord, go ahead and say it, whether it's in the music or the preaching. So don't fear that you can't be who you are in this church, all right? Years ago, I was in Cunningham, Kentucky, and I was preaching at Mayfield Creek Baptist Church. I think I told you this, didn't I? Did I tell you the story? Some of you are smiling like you know what it is. Well, okay. And I was preaching, and they were running the aisles, yelling, hooping, hollering, the whole music service. And I mean, it was really unbelievable. They were anointing people with oil, which is biblical, by the way. But they were doing all kinds of emotional stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, I'm a teacher, and I'm going to get up and feed these people. And then the last thing the pastor said, he whispered to me as I was going to the pulpit, don't you let it die, Brother Dan. And I thought, oh, my word. So I preached, wow, hey, thank you. I preached real loud, and they thought, it was great, and they kept worshiping the Lord like that. But uh, I, that, that was divine inter- interference there, wasn't it, guys? Because I wanted to illustrate that, and bam, it happened. But <laughs> that was great. So while we accept enthusiastic preaching, while there may be a time I'll get loud and get more excited, we accept praising the Lord. We have to always make sure it's generated from the right source. Not your flesh, but the Holy Spirit. And because all of us have seen people with emotional outbursts that are in the flesh, and we don't want that, but I thank God for people who do praise the Lord. We need to praise the Lord. Well, he says, preach the word. Then he says, be instant in season and out of season. And that Greek word's translated several ways. But let me just skip over how it's translated and tell you that it means to be ready, to be accessible, to be available. Timothy needed to be ready for whatever came his way, be accessible to people who needed him, to be ready to preach at a moment's notice. And that, that's something to, all preachers have to be really knowledgeable of scripture because what if you go to a conference and the guy says, you come on up here and preach Hebrews chapter whatever. And you're thinking, wow, I'm glad I know Hebrews or Timothy or whatever because I've just been asked to preach it. And we need to study. In fact, what does Acts say the preacher's supposed to do, the pastor's supposed to do? He's supposed to spend his time, what? Studying the word and praying. And the deacons take care of the money and the facilities, and I thank God for deacons. Amen? And the pastor shouldn't be in control of the money. He's supposed to spend his time preaching and studying, praying. That seems simple, but if a pastor really dives in the Word and really feeds you good, he spent a lot of time in that text. And I've told you before, I don't know if I've ever preached without, without studying six hours for a message. I don't know if I've ever done it, because I've had to really dive in. I'm not that smart of a guy, so I have to dive in and figure it all out so that I can feed you. But here he says, preach the word, and then be instant in season out of season. In other words, be ready. Then he says, thirdly, he says, reprove. Reprove. And that word means to convince, as it's translated in uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Same word. Reprove or convince. Now, the context here is sound doctrine. So everything we're talking about now, we'll we'll find out the reason he shared this. It's because of people being pulled away by false doctrine. So we need to convince people. Sort of be apologetic in our approach. Defend the Scriptures. Help people understand this is God's Word, and, and there's no excuse for not obeying it. But here he says to re- reprove, then he says to rebuke. You'll find rebuke can be in the flesh as well. Remember when Peter rebuked the Lord Jesus... He was out of line. Did you know that a young person's not even supposed to rebuke an elder? That's what the Bible says. You would treat them as a father. One place where it's used, and it's used in the right way, is the two thieves in the cross. One rebukes the other. He said, wait a minute, we deserve to be here. He didn't do a thing. And that guy who rebuked the other thief, Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So that was certainly a good rebuke. The word rebuke is often misused. The word rebuke, I've known pastors as well as people who go around the church and feel it's their calling to rebuke everybody. I had a guy in my church one time, he would confront people in the parking lot and tell them they weren't dressed properly, and I didn't know what was going on, I was new at the church, and when I heard it was going on, I went down and said, that's not your calling. We, we wanna, we wanna use words like this rebuke to go around and tell everybody what they're doing wrong, how they're dressed wrong, and they're doing this wrong and doing that wrong and working at the wrong place, and we wanna control our people, and we rebuke, we rebuke, but you know what? That not, is not necessarily of God. It can be done in the flesh to learn to control people. And here, we'll look at the context in a moment. Third, or fifth thing he says is exhort. Exhort. It's another kind of a, Word that I want to explain. I know I get off on this stuff sometimes, but the word the word exhort comes from two words. It's, it comes from two words, and the the, the first half of the word is the word para, and the second half is the word colio, and that means para like a parachute or a paragraph, which means to be by close by you, by your side, and the word colio is the word call. So this word means to come by the side of someone, to call someone, come up next to them, and to comfort them. That's how it's translated nine times. The word exhort, the Greek word is translated comfort nine times. It's also used of the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter. So you see, we're given, uh, Timothy's given this, and we're also given the requirement to exhort. We're told that in other passages of Scripture. I know he's a preacher, but we're also told to encourage Paul says then, then in the last line of the verse, he says here in the last line, do these things with all long-suffering. We could say patience, same thing. With all long-suffering, patience. And what's the next word? Doctrine. Doctrine. That's, that's the purpose of rebuking someone because they may have bad doctrine. Look at verse 3. For, the little word for is a transitional word. We could put the word because in there, for or because. Why does he say to rebuke, reprove, exhort, be ready, and preach? Why does he say all that? Because, verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The word sound is our word hygiene. It's a Greek word, and healthy doctrine. There's going to be a time where people won't accept healthy doctrine. And so we have to rebuke that. You might be surprised if I had someone visit and preach for us. They may get up, preach something that's not scriptural, and I would get up and I would say, excuse me, folks, we believe in the Trinity here. You know, I know this gentleman doesn't, but we want you to know we believe in that. And, and that's not going to happen. I doubt it'll happen. But we need to understand there is a time to rebuke. And the connection here, the, the context is with doctrine, with doctrine. And so it's so important. Verse 3, because they are going to be carried away with these doctrines. And the last line uh, says, but after their own, says, for this time will come, they'll not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want people to, to say what, what sounds good to them, to satisfy, to scratch their itching ears. That, that's what some look for. And so they're not going to like. The preaching of the New Testament preachers because they're going to preach the truth. So they lust after teachers who will satisfy them. The word lust doesn't always go along with sex sins, you know. It means desiring something you shouldn't have. And it could be a lot of things besides someone of the opposite sex, okay? So they lusted over teachers who would just tell them what they wanted to hear. I'm not here for that. I believe I could say 10 or 15 things right now that you all would love me to say. If I said, we stand on the Word of God, you're all going to say, Men. But I know we stand on the Word of God because all of you people profess Christ. You carry the Bible. So I need to talk more about the context than the cover. I hear so much talk about the cover know, about all these issues. Some people think second opinions is a book in the Bible. It's not. I'm not supposed to preach my convictions I'm not supposed to preach my ideas. I'm supposed to preach the Word. That, that's my calling. And so some just couldn't handle sound doctrine, and the Bible says they just went the wrong way. He says, <clears throat> verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. This is an interesting word. This word turn is an actual medical term. Our physicians would know that. We had some in other church. Tr- I don't think anybody was a physician here, but it means to twist out of place. The clever false prophet can take the Word of God and just twist it out of place enough to make people buy into it. And, and look at the last line here in verse 4. And shall, they shall be turned unto fables. That's the word mythos. The word myth comes from that. There are people that want all kinds of new stuff. They want fables, fables and myth. They don't want to hear the preaching of the word. A lot of people like that. I always know the depth of someone's maturity when they come by. And I had a gentleman come by my office, and he wanted to talk about several different things. And I realized none of it was in Scripture. He had these ideas that weren't scriptural. And as loving as I could, I said, well, that's just not scriptural. The Bible says in Hebrews that God did it one time. Speak through dreams and visions and with an audible voice, we know as well. But these days he speaks unto us by his Son, the living word, and he is found in the written word. If you want God to speak to you today, you get on your knees and pray. And when you're done talking, listen for a while and read this book. They were twisted to fables because they wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. Look at verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. The word truth is found in this text six times. So they wanted to turn away from the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone who wants to turn away from this book is turning away from the Lord Jesus. He is the truth. And now quickly he gives them four more. He gives Timothy four more things. He says in verse 5, but watch thou in all things. That's translated to be sober sometimes. Just be on guard. Keep a watch out. Then he says, endure suffering. Endure suffering. I was reading a little clip. I thought this was great. This guy who had, been, uh, had a stroke and been mostly paralyzed, but learned to walk somewhat again and started to jog. And he entered a 10K race. And his hero was in that race, a guy named, uh, I've got his name down here. I don't know if I need to work on finding it, but I can tell you later, oh, Bill Nelson. And he said, Bill ran the race in less than 30 minutes and, and almost set the record. And the story goes on. The person who told his name, Fred, said uh, that the guy that had been paralyzed was still running two hours after the race was done. And some kids on a bike came up and said, hey, mister, why are you still running the race? It's been over for hours. Somebody already finished in first place and won. Why don't you quit the race? It's over. And he didn't quit. He finished. Boy, how agonizing it must have been. But he wanted to finish. And the winner of the race heard about it. He came back, and they put up a banner and had people cheering for this guys across the line. They put a medal around his neck. I thought that's an awesome story. But you know what? Life is tough. Life is tough. And we have to realize... There's nothing easy in the Christian life. We have to endure affliction. We have to endure suffering. When the Lord saves us, he said, take up what? My what? Cross and follow me. What does the cross symbolize? It's not a polished piece of gold to go around your neck. There's nothing wrong with wearing that, but the cross symbolizes suffering. And as believers, we have to expect suffering. And a lot of Christians don't expect suffering. They think when you get saved... Everything's great, and it is. As far as your soul, you yeah, that joy and that peace, but your body may be some bad stuff. And so he says here that you need to uh, be sober, endure affliction and suffering. Then he says this, do the work of an evangelist. Evangelism is cited in Romans and 1 Corinthians as a spiritual gift. Some people have that gift in man. That preacher, when he preaches, people get saved all the time. And they go out and they can witness to people and people get saved all the time. And that's an awesome thing. But let me say this to you. Timothy obviously didn't have that because he said, do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. And you know what God says to us? Same thing. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. When was the last time you witnessed to somebody? That's why we're here. We have to do the work of an evangelist. I told you I've knocked on hundreds of doors and wished nobody was home. I knock. Oh, I hope they're not home. I go to the next. Door. You know they don't go. I have to. It, just, it makes you nervous to witness. It makes them more nervous because the Holy Spirit starts prodding their heart. And, and I'm not saying that every one of you is able to physically go out and knock on doors, but you know we're all able to witness. We go into grocery stores and gas stations. We meet people with problems, and our job is to evangelize, period. It's our job. We can't get away from that calling. It's not just a spiritual gift for a few. It's a commandment for everybody to go out and reach people with the gospel. And then he says, make full proof or fulfill your calling. Make full proof of the ministry. And then we get to a big transition here. These three verses. The next verse, 6, starts out again with the word for. Why is he charging Timothy? Because he's about to die. Look what it says. For I am now ready to be offered. I'm ready to be offered. Now, that is referring back to numbers, where the priest would have a, a drink offering they'd make, and they'd pour it on the ground. It was That was a type pointing ahead to something. Jesus in Luke 22 said, take this wine. This is my blood of the new covenant. Do you know that drink offering back in Numbers represented death and pouring all the liquid out of your body? When Jesus went to the cross, he shed all his blood for you and for me. That's a drink offering. And Paul says, I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready to die. And, and we need to understand how important it is to, to remember what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. And some have called this next three-verse section a swan song. Because a swan is a creature that knows about when it's going to die. And it begins to make preparations. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? The swine. And so that's what they call it. So Paul says, I'm now ready. Not only was he about to be offered, but he's ready to be offered. He's ready. Are you ready to face death today? Do you know not one of us has uh, any, any knowledge of when we're going to die? But there's a day of death coming. And it could be you on the way home in an automobile accident. And you could be gone out into eternity. Do you know you're ready? Do you know you know the Lord? Are you saved? If not, you can come forward while I'm preaching, during the invitation. Our altars are always open, but you need to come and get that thing settled. Or come up to one of us afterwards and say, I'm not a Christian. I would help you. Because the Bible said there's always going to be wolves in the the, amongst the sheep. There's always going to be tares amongst the wheat. Maybe someone here has professed to know God, but doesn't know Him. And so you need to be prepared like Paul and ready to die. Then he says, my departure's at hand. My departure's at hand. This is an interesting phrase as well. It's used several ways in the Greek language. It has to do with ships leaving port. It has to do with military moving their entire unit. They pack up and move. It has to do with a pilgrim or a traveler dying. And that's the application here. Paul's applying this Greek phrase, this, to his life. I'm ready to be offered... My time of departure is at hand. I'm going to be gone shortly. Wow, a guy who has his life in order. I love that. And then this great verse, verse 7. I have fought a good fight. That word fought and that word fight both come from the Greek word agon. We get our word agony from it. You know, a third of our language came from Greek. That's why I do this. The word agony. The word agony is in Hebrews chapter 12 where he says, I've run the race. The word race is the word agony. What am I saying the same thing I said five minutes ago? Life is hard. The race for Jesus Christ is not always easy. And if I were to ask everyone here who's over 40, if they've ever had trials and tribulation in their life, every hand would have to go up. Whether it's a child that breaks your heart, or a bad marriage, or a financial setback, or maybe you were disappointed because someone you looked up to hurt you, or maybe somebody cheated you, Maybe your kid's born with a handicap. There are trials and tribulations, and we have to understand that's part of the race. Expect suffering. Peter says, just be, don't be surprised. Expect suffering. We are going to suffer as believers in Jesus Christ. So he says here, I have fought a good fight. Then he says, I have finished my course. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And I want you to see this. Important for you to see it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I could have quoted it, and you'd have understood it, but I want you to see this. Paul had been through it. He said he preached with fear and trembling. Was that because he's afraid of crowds? No, because he's afraid of dying. He knew that people were out to kill him. So he preached sometimes with fear and trembling. Think of everything Paul went through. He's out in the sea, floating around for days and nights after a shipwreck. You know, think of him being beaten with rods by the Jewish leaders, the temple leaders. Or the Romans who whipped him with a scourge. Or the fact that he was stoned and left for dead. And here, the elders, you know, they had to get out of Ephesus because they were threatened. Think of all Paul went through. A, a man who lived a life of loneliness as, as far as companionship, he was so thankful that Luke was with him in the end, but he was lonely and he struggled and he went through all this. But look what he says. But none of these things move me, neither can I my life dear unto myself, so that I might f- finish my course with what? Joy. My dad used to say, quit bellyaching. It, it's one of his words, <laughs> and I have not used it in a while. Quit belly aching. You know, we, we are going through trials, and we have a tendency to complain about it. Sometimes it may be a small trial, and we get angry. We get angry. <laughs> Years ago, I was living in Tree and Sky Mobile Home Park up here in Bible College, and I had a little car, and we came. it was a snowy day, and we got, luckily, luckily we got to the top of the hill, and we started to pull in our driveway, and we started to slide. And I went off the edge of the driveway, and I just kept sliding down to this valley. You know, I was saying, oh, Lord, stop this thing. And I imagine the Lord was saying, you're the driver. Yeah. Don't look at me. And I had to get someone to get a chain and a winch and pull me back out of that valley up into my driveway. Embarrassing, everybody in the neighborhood went around that circle and saw that car way down in the valley and thought, what's that guy's car doing down there? Well, the problem was the loose nut behind the wheel. It wasn't God's fault. But whenever we have trials, we want to say, why are you doing this to me, God? This isn't fair. Jesus carried a cross, a little more difficult than the one you're carrying. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if it kills us, praise God, there's no pain in death. We we just wake up in the Lord. So he says here, I've finished my course. Then he says, I've kept the faith. Now, you have to notice this is an important little word. Notice in the last line of that verse, I have kept the faith. It's not an italicized word. It hadn't been added, but there's a definite article, that article the V. Did you know there's only one faith? Huh? Did you know that? Don't put your confidence in people. Have faith in God. There's only one faith. There's only one Lord. There's only one Savior. There's only one name under heaven whereby men can be saved. There's only one way, only one faith, and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I've kept that faith. I like that. Paul was the type of guy, if you were living the day, he'd have been in church every Sunday. Faithful. He'd have been witnessing all the time. And he was. He was that kind of a guy. Faithful in what God called him to do. And then the last verse says, henceforth, There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not only to me, not to me only, but to everyone, to anyone and everyone that love love his appearing, that expect and look for his appearing. Did you know that God will give you a crown for that? It's a simple wreath called the stephos, named after Stephen, the first martyr, one of the first martyrs. But that's the crown he's going to get. He has fought a good fight. He finished his course, and he did it with joy. And he kept the faith. And now he's with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. He expected the Lord to come in his time, and the Lord didn't come. But Paul's with him. When the rapture takes place, Paul's body's going to come out from somewhere. I don't know where. And I don't know where he's buried, but he's going to be with the Lord. Hey, listen, he's coming again. He's coming again. All the stuff that's going on in our world, and I know preachers should preach it more, but we need to preach about the fact that the Lord may come right now. The Bible says in the last days, none will stand with Israel. I could just imagine if the rapture took place and all the Christians were gone immediately, we'd be against Israel like the rest of the world's always been against Israel. And that's not coincidental, folks. Everyone hates Israel, not realizing Satan's behind all that because Satan wants to destroy the one who's born of a virgin, then he wants to destroy the one who's coming back, and he, he he he's always trying to destroy the Lord. He's always trying to destroy his anointing because he's the enemy, and he hates the Jews. And I I see everything going on in our society. And I think, oh man, what's next? I feel sorry for our female athletes now. It really frustrates me. Now they're going to compete against men. You know that I don't care what they say they had surgery or they become something. They're still what God made them to be. It's sexual perversion. And I feel I saw a little girl on the news talking about how hard it is to compete against men. One really great, great female athlete finished third. Two men beat her, so-called women. (laughs) And this stuff frustrates me, but I know the Lord's going to come. And it'll all be taken care of when Jesus comes. He's going to take us all out of this world, and a tribulation is going to hit this place, and those people are going to suffer. And then He's going to come back, And he's going to judge and he's going to set up this thousand year kingdom. He's coming again. He hates what's going on in our world. He hates it. He's coming again. He's, he's been patient and long suffering. This is the longest dispensation in scripture. The longest dispensation in scripture was 1500 years. The church age or the grace age is the longest dispensation ever. So it's, he's overdue, but you know what? He's waiting on God to say, go get your bride. He's excited. He wants to bring his bride home. He's waiting for the Father. But in the meantime, what do we do? We carry our cross. It may get so bad we, we can't witness. They've talked about, in the past I've heard them talk about, preachers who preach hate. In other words, they actually said that preachers who preach against uh, gays and, and all that they're going to have to start investigating that this is years ago that, that kind of stuff was being talked about and we know one day the persecution is going to be intense and one day we won't have the freedoms we have now so thank god we have now but we have to continue to carry our cross until jesus says lay it down and come home and we're out of this place and i'll tell you what i can't wait to get out of this place I won't miss one second of the world. I'll know when I'm in heaven that my grandkids will join me. Amen? I know when I get to heaven, my kids will be there. My Christian friends and relatives will all be there. Oh, what a glad reunion day that's going to be. Jesus is coming. But folks, let's fight a good fight. Let's run a good race with joy, even during all the difficulty. Let's pray. God, thank you thank you god for your word for the folks that are patient and listening and hopefully lord